From the Carter Subaru Studios, this is Cairo Nights with Jake Scorheim. Welcome back to Cairo Nights. It is the 8 p.m. hour, which means we get to jump into the news roundup. Thank you guys so much for joining us. This has been a really fun show, uh, kind of a weird show. We started off pretty strange talking to uh, Chris Sullivan and Nathan Gray Connors, but I always have a fun time with those guys because I never know what they're going to say, and it's always vaguely inappropriate, which are my favorite conversations to have. It makes it a little dicey, if I'm being honest, to put it on live radio, but those guys are a lot of fun. So I'm happy to have them on the show anytime they want to hang out. So that's a fun time. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that, go back and tune into the podcast. Uh, look up Kyra Nights with Jake Scorheim, and you can listen to. Uh, we do this little thing on Fridays where we I have the I, I have them on, and we play some Three Amigos music. It's ridiculous and, <laughs> and dumb, but uh, but we have fun because it's Friday. All right. Uh, at the start of the show, here's what we do on the News Roundup. If you guys are new to the show, welcome. We're really happy to have you. Uh, we look back on all the other shows, and we play you audio clips from those shows. This does two things, which is great. One, I get to see what the other shows are talking about, which, and I get to gauge my news-picking abilities. So I get to see what they do, and I go, oh, would I do that? Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe I would, maybe I wouldn't. Um, I can also make pithy comments about whatever they're talking about. Two, I guess that's three. Three... It gives them a chance to be highlighted on the primetime show, which is us at night, because that's when primetime happens. All right. But first, before we get to those clips, uh, I'm going to play a trivia clip. I play this every single night. Basically, 100% of you got this on the text line because it's super easy and it's such low-hanging fruit. And if you heard the first hour of the show, Chris and Nate and I basically give you the answer in the first segment. We didn't mean to. We just like got talking about it. The movie's so, so good. We all had such strong memories of it and strong reactions to it that we decided to just keep talking about it, which we did, and we kicked that horse to death. Uh, but anyway, here's the trivia clip. I will then tell you what this movie's from right after, although you're going to get it immediately, so don't hold it against me. You know, by the end of that first dawn, lost 100 men. I don't know how many sharks, maybe 1,000. I don't know how many men, the average six an hour. Thursday morning, Chief, I bumped into a friend of mine, Herbie Robinson from Cleveland. Baseball player, bosom's mate. I thought he was asleep. Reached over to wake him up. Bobbed up and down in the water. It was like a kind of top. Upended. Well, he'd been bitten in half below the waist. Noon the fifth day, Mr. O'Berry, Lockheed Ventura. So she swung in low and he saw us to the young pilot, a lot younger than Mr. Hooper anyway. He saw us and he come in low and three hours later, a big fat PBY comes down and start to pick us up. You know, that was the time I was most frightened, waiting for my turn. I'll never put on a life jacket again. So oh, 1,100 men went in the war. 316 men come out, the sharks took the rest, June the 29th, 1945. Anyway, we delivered the bomb. Anyway, we delivered the bomb. Such an amazing speech. That was obviously the Quint speech, super famous, from a little movie called Jaws, which all of you got. You understood that one. A lot of you made a Jaws 3 joke, but that wasn't from Jaws 3, obviously. Um, what's really great about that speech, which I really love about it so much, is the little details which give it so much realism. Like when he talks about his buddy who's bobbing up and down in the water there, and he says, yeah, I bumped into one of my mates. He was uh, 
uh, for, what did he say? He was from Cincinnati or something. He says he was a baseball player. And just little details. And then, uh, yeah, shark bit him in half. The other thing I love about that, so John Milius, uh, this, so the story goes, and I don't know that this is absolutely true, but I've heard it from a number of different sources, and I've seen it, and I think in a documentary somewhere. But Steven Spielberg is directing this movie, Jaws, again, which is what the movie is, and he's having some script issues, and he's having a lot of set issues, which you guys have probably heard about. They couldn't get the shark to work correctly, which is why, for most of the movie, you're not seeing the shark. It's just, uh, you know, theater of the mind, like radio. Um, imagine a big shark in here with me right now. It's just, ah, so scary. Um, a land shark. Anyway, uh, so Steven Spielberg wanted this shark to work, but it wouldn't work. And so they couldn't get the animatronic shark to, you know, it's just a lot of problems. It's seawater, all these different things. So they had to go ahead, but they had this tight shooting schedule. So they kept making the movie and it ended up just working out even better because you build up all this anticipation for the shark. What's it going to look like? What's it going to, when we finally see it, what's it going to be? Anyway, so that's the physical problems he was having on the set. He also had some script issues, so he calls in his good buddy, John Milius. And John Milius is, like, super genius. Everybody acknowledges he's just an amazing screenwriter. Uh, wrote and directed Red Dawn. You guys remember that movie, Red Dawn? And many other things. He's just a great guy. Anyway, so he calls in John Milius and says, hey, we really need, like, a, an impactful moment in the movie, something that people are going to remember, and we need it to be kind of dark and kind of scary, and we're thinking it should be on this boat or in this, like, time where these guys, they call it, like, the dark night of the soul moment where, like, these guys are out there and they're having to really check their grit to see if they have what it takes to overcome this shark. And he comes up with this amazing scene. He uses this true bit of history, the USS Indianapolis. Of course, that actually did happen to that ship, and that's a real story, but you take it and you put it into a, 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 a you know a fictional story like Jaws, and suddenly it feels so real. Like that guy was never on the USS Indianapolis. That's an actor reading a line. Obviously, I don't need to tell you guys how movies work, but it felt so real. The other cool thing about it is it all of a sudden totally informs why Quint hates sharks so much. Like if you're watching the movie, look in the background of any scene that Quint is in. And he is showing you in some way how much he hates sharks. If you're in like Quint's house, I think like I think he even has a shark tooth or something hanging around his neck. But if you're in his uh, his shop, wherever it is that they go and they find him, where Brody and Hooper go and find Quint and convince him to go hunt this shark, he's got all these shark heads, and he's like boiling sharks. He like boy, this guy really hates sharks. Why does he hate sharks so much? Well, the reason he hates them, U.S.S. Indianapolis. All right, that's a lot on Jaws. That's the trivia clip. I hope you guys enjoy it. It's a fun part of the night. I just love playing the trivia clip every night. It's a lot of fun. We get to talk about movies, so that's something I love, too. All right. Let's get to the news roundup. Again, the news roundup. We take clips from all the other shows. We highlight them here on this show. Let's find out what they were talking about on Seattle's Morning News. Dave Ross was talking about voting. Here it is. So many complaints about the two old men who'll be running for president and the chaos in Congress. And, yes, there is plenty to complain about. But let's remember that just about every occupant of higher office once occupied a lower office and was put there by us, which is why I think we have an obligation as voters to weed out the bad ones as early in their careers as possible. And the way to do that is by voting every single time you get a ballot and voting on every single race on that ballot. I'm not asking you to sit up all night researching candidates, but I am suggesting 
that you do just enough to make sure you vote against anyone who panders to the angriest among us. Yes, I totally agree with this. I think he's making a great point. We just saw this happen recently, so I'm going to just do a quick aside here because I find this really fascinating. I wonder, here's a question for you, and you can you can let me know your answer to this. Is there any person who runs for any elected office, any off? it doesn't matter what it is, maybe it's right on down to the HOA, of which I am the president, actually, the president of my HOA, there was, and this is such a pathetic thing to, to, to tell you guys, but I, I, I don't care. I'll share it with you. When I was elected as president of the HOA, instantly I thought to myself, well, if I do good at this, maybe, just maybe, I have a future in politics as the president of the United States. That is where your head just naturally goes to. Is it just me? Is it, is it, am I the only one whose head goes to that place? Maybe. I don't know. It's probably as pathetic. Um, <laughs> but uh, so that was what I thought. When, the, when I was elected to president of the HOA where I live, um, of my neighborhood, and it was, to be honest, I wasn't even really elected. The president of the HOA quit. She stepped down. I was the vice president, which was the job that required the least amount of work in the HOA. And then I just like de facto got to become the president. So if that's like, but as soon as I climbed that mountain and I was suddenly president of the HOA, I thought, you know what? I could do this. And if I could do it here in my tiny little neighborhood, could I run the country? Is there such a difference? Is, is there such a big difference? Yes, is the answer to that. There is a big difference. So what Dave's saying here is uh, something that I heard a long time ago. Michael Medved one time said on his show, and I don't remember when it was, but he was saying, hey, all, and he, I, he probably didn't coin this, but let's just give it to him. He said, all politics is local. So you might vote in presidential elections, things like that, obviously. But the things that are going to affect your day-to-day life are happening right down the street. It's, it's, it's the people that you put into the, uh, the uh, PTA. It's the people on the school board. It is the people who run your local city council. In fact, in Seattle recently, we had city council members back in 2022 who adopted an ordinance called the pay-up ordinance. Now, we've talked about this on the show many times. And they decided in the city of Seattle, they said, and these low-level, I mean, like city of Seattle city council members, that's pretty low-level public servants, right? But still, they overstepped their bounds. And they said, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to adopt an ordinance that says that any app-based delivery driver in the city of Seattle has to be paid $26.40 an hour. Not other companies, not like your average Domino delivery drive, Domino's delivery driver, just app-based delivery drivers. Because we want to be able to say in this big tech-friendly city that we all, you know, sometimes drive through. I don't live in it, but I drive through it a lot and I work in it. Uh... The people here who drive for app-based delivery services, we want to say that they make the most amount of anyone else, anywhere. And so we're going to say it's $26.40 an hour. They just adopted that ordinance. And what are the, what are the, so, so that was in 2022. Flash forward to the beginning of this year, January, 2024, it goes into effect. What happens? Immediately, what happens? People are not using the service anymore because those app-based delivery companies who now have to pay their app-based delivery drivers $26.40 an hour, they started saying, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just like, if you're going to force me to pay someone more than $6 an hour, more than the minimum wage in the city, just us, if you're just forcing us to do that, no one else, then we're going to go ahead and uh, tack on a delivery service fee. And we're going to make the customer pay that, which is what businesses do, obviously. 
Uh, Seattle City Council members probably don't run many businesses, so maybe they don't. Maybe they didn't know this. Like we could just give them the benefit of the doubt and assume they didn't know how business works. But that's how it works. So they pass that on to the uh, customers, and the customers said, "Hey, you know what? I don't want to pay. Ni- I don't want to pay uh, twenty dollars for a nine dollar burrito. No thanks. I just want to order." So then, because the Seattle City Council, in my opinion, overstepped their bounds, they said, "Hey, you know what?" Uh, people just said, we're not going to order on the service anymore. And so now all the drivers aren't able to make money. We've talked about this many times. I don't need to go over this whole thing again. The point that Dave is making is when you have politicians at any level who are not serving you, get rid of them. Vote them out, which is what we can do. You can vote and you can vote them out, which is what they did to Seattle City Council members. I think the two members who sponsored this pay-up ordinance... They weren't even there by the time it went into effect because people had gotten wise and they said, you know what? Not interested. We're going to we're gonna vote somebody else in. You guys are running this. You guys are sending the city in a direction we're not interested in. So I think Dave's making a good point here. Even at the local level, because there are no minor elections. Those local elections are how politicians start climbing the ladder. I have to say this area has done pretty well in terms of electing people who run for the right reasons. We've never elected a George Santos or a Lauren Boebert. But I don't take that for granted because voter turnout remains terrible. I got to pause it there real fast. We've elected a lot of other crazy people in this area. I mean, just to be fair, yes, we didn't elect a Santos or a Boebert, uh, but they have elected many other politicians that are that I would that I would be very I'm very surprised got elected. Well, even here. In the elections that give politicians their start off your local elections, turnout last year in Washington was about 37%. Other elections are somewhat better, but there are still too many voters who throw away their chance to weed out the next wave of bomb throwers. I worry about any candidate who equates negotiation with surrender. And when you add low turnout to the growing influence of social media, you see how we could be saddled with yet another generation of politicians focused on fear instead of focused on fixing problems. Do we need another Congress that warns us about a wave of invading aliens and then votes no to deliberately keep the crisis alive as an election issue? I think politicians like that need to be culled from the herd early, before they set their sights on higher office. As voters, we have that power. And it's up to us to pick up that pen and make it count every time in every race. There you go, Dave. Yes. Uh, Pay attention to your local votes. It's really boring. To be honest, though, like local local elections are so tedious and so boring. When we covered them on this show, because we kind of had to, it's like our, you know, we, we wanted to make sure that you guys were informed on everything. A lot of the stuff that we were talking about, it was like Borefest Snorefest. I could not be less interested in a lot of the, the initiatives and a lot of the things that people were, were you know, like, there's just, I, I'm not going to name them because I don't want to offend anybody, but there were a lot of stuff that we covered where I went like, all right, guys, I think we got the picture. Let's move on. All right. Uh, but yes, del- uh, elections are important. You should pay attention to them. And, uh, you know, that's how you can make your voice heard with a vote or run for it yourself. Take a page out of my book. Step up, do the hard work, and run your HOA. Uh, and maybe someday you too could be president of the United States. Um, all right, we got time for one more. Let's get to this really fast. Uh, because we were talking about delivery drivers just a second ago, Jack and Spike were also frustrated with some delivery drivers. I think this one's package delivery, not food delivery. So let's hear about that. Ordered this guitar, supposed to show up today. I put the special instructions. Call me. 
mm-hmm. will come down. I will open the door for you. It will be a non-issue. Right. And so what, what I get when I open my UPS app is we attempted delivery. No one was home. That is a lie because all they have to do is go to the call box and go beep, boop, beep, boop. Your entire my, building wasn't home? My, right. The but desk guy who works at the front desk at your building wasn't home? There's a guy at the home? front desk. There's a call box that goes directly to my cell phone. There's I don't understand. Yeah, yeah. Why does UPS hate its customers? I don't understand why Dude, this is the case. It's because it's cold and they're wearing shorts. No, I understand this, but it, it is a lie and a facade to say to me that I was not home. Yeah. It is a lie. You didn't attempt the delivery, right? If walking up to the door and then turning around is attempting the delivery, this is a lie. UPS needs to do something about this immediately or I shall be canceling my service with you, <laughs> fine people. Local company, by the way, UPS, started here in the Northwest. Um, I, think, I think you're being generous to say that he got out of the truck and walked to the gate. I think he glanced over. I, I know, yeah, sat in his I, seat yeah. and glanced I, at the gate and said, you know dude, what, I can't do it. I, I'm not going to speak ill of uh, delivery drivers. we got a lot of delivery drivers who listen to this show, and I'm so thankful for you guys. Obviously, you deliver so much stuff to my house, and I really do appreciate it. What I will say I'm not loving is in the middle of the day, and this is just like an issue that I'm dealing with right now because I have young kids. Uh, don't ring the doorbell when you drop a package off. I don't need that. I'm not, it's not required. I don't like it. You don't even need to knock. I'm going to see you on my camera anyway. I I got a, I got a camera on my front door. I'll be watching you. My phone will tell me the minute you pull up in front of my door. I don't need you to knock on it. And I don't need you to ring the bell because in the middle of the day, a lot of times I got kids in quiet time and that quiet time is dad's time. I work at night, which means in the daytime, uh, I am doing all the other stuff. And when my kids are in their rooms sleeping, hopefully, or maybe even just playing quietly, the second somebody rings a door, forget it. Uh, rings a doorbell. Not rings a door. You can't ring a door. Uh, so, yeah, that would just be my request to all delivery drivers. Please stop ringing my doorbell. Uh, please stop knocking on my door. Just drop it off. That's all right. You can just drop it off, and I, I'll know it's there, and I appreciate it. Uh, and I think you're doing a great job. All right, we got a lot more coming up on the show. Stick around. We're going to be right back here on Kyra Nights. You're listening to Cairo Nights with Jake Scora. Welcome back to Cairo Nights. It's Friday. I have Mike Lefko from 710 Seattle Sports. And anytime Mike's on the show, you guys know what that means. Score time with Scoreheim. Good thing they can't see us dancing. I know. Speaking of dancing, this is totally um, an aside, but did you see that the NYPD has a dance troupe? Did you see that? They have their own? They have a dance, like a dance Uh. troupe, like a Fly Girls. Do you remember In Living Color? Uh, No. Do you remember the Fly Girls? Uh. I always was, I like the Fly Girls a Uh. lot. Uh, Jennifer Lopez was part of the Fly Girls. Really? Okay. Did you know that? No. Really? Look it up. Uh, Google. You can Google that. That's a that's the a information thing. I learn in these segments is just fascinating. Yeah, no, like the Ben Johnson connection you have, and then Jennifer Lopez, Jennifer her L- history. That's not a connection I actually have, <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, uh, you should look that. Or like, uh, okay, so you're a sports guy. Any any sideline dancer, yeah, right? Or like any like you understand? I don't need to explain to you what a dancer is. Um, so the NYPD has this group of of lady cops. I don't see any guys in there, that, but I'm sure they'd be welcome if they wanted to. Um, but they have a group of cops who get together, and it's kind of their way of working mm-hmm. out the stresses of work and stuff like that. 
and so they have this NYPD dance troupe. Wow. And uh, it's not great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't know you were leading up to that. Okay. No, it's not. It's not great. Because what you have is um, dancing's really hard. Yeah. You know, like I don't know if you have any background in dance. I don't. Nice. And, but I can tell when it's good and I can tell when it's not great. Mm-hmm. And usually there's a professional level of dancing that, right. that makes it onto TV and stuff. Or there's a novelty factor to it. Like if you are the New York Police Department yeah. and you also dance, like a community mm-hmm. outreach, you go and dance. Yeah. And so uh, they were on, you should really just Google search. This is audio, okay. this is a, this yeah. audio medium, so I can't show you because we're on the radio. I'm going to end this segment right now. Go search. Go search yeah. it right now. Let's pause okay. and we'll come back later. You can come back next segment. We can just All talk right. about it. All right. Uh, so Mike Left Coast, 710 Seattle Sports. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, now that we've it's talked about been fun, yeah. dance for a long time. <laughs> All right. Um, sports. I saw some Geno Smith stuff today. What's going on with him? Uh, yeah, so salary cap info gets very dense. So trying to figure out a way to make it fun, explain make it, it without yeah. getting too much in the weeds. Yes. Basically, Just, he's under contract for two more years, and they are going to spread out the money that's due, that's owed to Geno Smith over those two years instead of him getting more all of a sudden this year. So is it is it guaranteed money, though? It's guaranteed money. This This money is not getting taken away from him. It's just getting delivered in a different way. Is It'll be o- now delayed. Is he how okay it's with that? Uh, yeah, it turns out that part of the contract negotiations, that's built into the contract. Oh, because they the could, team can they could do decide that. to yeah. spread it out if they want so, to. So I think the guaranteed. number was like $9.6 and they said in the initial contract negotiation when he signed last year, it's somewhere in there that says at the Seahawks' discretion, we can split this money over the life of the contract. And gotcha. that's what they did. And that happens across the NFL. And and that happens all the time. It has to do with the salary cap so and, teams yeah. can get under the cap for one year and then deal with next year as it comes along. So there's constant maneuvering and uh, trying to find some more space to bring guys in or, or pay guys now, ex- an extension. Last, when you were on the show last Friday, we were talking about last Friday, Geno Smith had just hit some benchmark yes. that he needed to hit to get twelve, basically like mm-hmm. $12.7 million or something like that. Is this new money or is this different same money? No, this was part of the initial contract. He still would have gotten this money, even if he wouldn't have gotten that twelve point nine or whatever. Yeah. Um, but now it's just there's all these different timelines of when things are due, and that deals with teams getting under the salary cap. Oh so my gosh, it's one so complicated. Week you get paid this, another week you get paid this. It would be like if our jobs, if our company ha- had to be under a certain pay threshold. Every single week. Yeah, so because then, then we'd monitor there our, some our group, salaries. There's like some that, yeah. group of like exactly. radio broadcasters that like ran a yeah, league. Exactly. And they said, you can't make, pay people more because it's right. an unfair advantage. Now, of course, that doesn't happen in any other industry. It's just sports because it gives people an unfair advantage, right? How wild would that be? If our employer would just like tinker with our contracts would and that say, be you good know what? Or bad? Like, I don't know if that would be better be for good. us. But you know what? No one cares that much about no, anything outside of the NFL. So that's why it doesn't become an issue. Yeah. Wouldn't that be funny if people did follow yeah. things that closely? Like, the only reason they care is because it's NFL-related. The, the radio industry, people were really tracking how and when people when, got paid. When is yeah. Mike Lefko getting his guaranteed money <laughs> for his next salary yeah. and all the negotiations that are taking place? So, Geno Smith is—so, it looks like he'll be with the Seahawks. Does this make him easier to trade, or does this make him— Oh, so, good question. Yes. Yeah. In a sense, for this year. So, now— he is owed less money this year, so if a team wants to take him on, it would cost less this season. Which helps their salary caps. Yes, but then it would cost the other team more next year. You could also, in maneuvering and in tradability, try to negotiate that with the Seahawks. So it's very dense to try to paint the full picture of what's going on. 
it feels more likely that because he's gotten this money with the 12 million we talked about last week. And now that the Seahawks decided, Hey, we're going to spread this money that we owe him over two years instead of just paying it all out at once that he'll be here as their quarterback this year. That's you reading the tea leaves. Yeah. That's you saying like, I think he's, this is, this is team is going to stick with him. Yes. Yeah. And he'll be the guy then he'll be the quarterback unless somebody rises Rises are they are they going to draft a quarterback like who who are they going to get? That is the biggest question of the offseason. I think that will be and what are their draft the picks? Like, I don't know much about of the Seahawks offseason. Yeah, what what is it? What is the Seahawks prospects for next year? What are they looking at? Well, they draft sixteenth, so sixteenth overall in the first round. Is that you good? Know, uh, you know, you want to be drafting toward the back end. That means you had a great season. So stuck in the middle is never great because yeah. you missed the playoffs like the Seahawks did, and you weren't bad enough to get a really impactful pick like they did when they had the Broncos last year and had the fifth overall. So you really have to kind of maneuver with what's around you. And the Seahawks also don't have a second round pick because they traded that away earlier in the season to get Leonard Williams. And that's another story. He's a free agent, but they don't have a lot of picks right now and they have a lot of needs. So the thought is it is a good quarterback class, but you have so many positions where you have to upgrade defensive line, offensive line, linebacker, And the way to do it now in the NFL, because contracts are so prohibitive to building a lot of expensive players, is to draft rookies. Yeah. And then you get them under controllable aspect for four to five years. So uh, another thing that people maybe might not know, because you don't really have to if you're just a casual football fan, when you draft a player, their rookie contract, their standard rookie contract is four years. Now, if they're a first round pick, you have a club option to keep them under that contract for a fifth year which means the salary, because it's negotiated by the league, is much lower than any second contract a player will sign. So when you hear about all these massive salaries, it's because the player has signed that first big contract after being a rookie. So a lot of teams, they build up with these rookies, these young, controllable players, because it's cost-effective to do that. Yeah. So the best way to build for the Seahawks, if you have a lot of positions of need, instead of going out and paying $16.5 million to get someone for the defensive line, and that's per year, you get a rookie, and his rookie salary in year one is like eight hundred thousand. Is that what is that what league it's, minimum is? No, I don't know the exact number, but it is much much lower yeah. than anything you're getting on the open market because then you're going to have to go get the peak at their position, and the open market is going to command a high rate because teams yeah, are but then those for your guys services. are coming in, they're having a huge impact on the team because they're really good, but they might not ever perform to the level of expectation of that. That's contract. true. That's so true. So if you look at what the Chiefs have done, that's why a lot of teams hold the Chiefs up as a model. Now it helps. They have the best quarterback in the NFL, but they won this year. They won the Super Bowl this year with defense and everyone on their defense, really young guys. They brought in a pretty cheap linebacker. Uh, one of their best players in all pro from the university of Washington, Trent McDuffie. Yeah. He's still on his rookie contract. Wow. So you have all these like first and second and third so he's year guys. Really affordable. It's, yes. like when, it's yeah. like when the Seahawks got Russell Wilson. Yeah. Well, like the Legion of boom, they were yeah. all in their rookie contract. All those guys who yeah. didn't cost them anything. Like how did they possibly exactly. put this together? How did they do this? And then they just ended up being great. And that's the issue of, Hey, you have to every off season. This is the issue. You have to pay your own guys because they're going to want more money when they perform and outperform their contracts. And then you got to bring in more people to yeah. fill those holes. So look what happened to the Seahawks. Look what happens to every team. You can't afford to keep Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor and then Russell Wilson and all your linebackers. Which is why and all Sherman these guys. ends up going and playing in San Francisco. Yeah. And, and, and all like, these guys possibly, move on. Yeah. yeah, and Earl Thomas moves on. So yeah, you can't afford to pay everyone when they get to the peak of their profession. Uh, you know what? It is. You make it really fun. You right? okay. make, yeah, no, it sounds you, very dense, and no, 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 I, I don't know who like, want to listen to this. But no, no, no. Yeah. But I like I'm a very casual football yeah. fan. I don't know much about it, but there are certain things that intrigue me. I'm very intrigued by the chess moves that they have to do to make these teams work. Yeah. And like they're 
they're under the gun to make their salary. Yeah, and this ahead. is why, well, be exactly what you're saying. This is why the NFL has become a year-long sport because fans have figured out that this is a captivating part of it also. Yes. This maneuvering, this off-season fascination. And so, okay, the NFL season, the games are over. The fun begins in the off-season with all this bargaining and maneuvering and what's your team going to do? So the NFL has become the most popular sport in this country because it's a year-round fascination. It's so funny because uh, um, when I – it reminds me of a video game I used to play. When my, when my first got married, I played a lot of uh, FIFA. On, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. one super fun aspect of that game is that – yeah, exactly. Yes. Yep. And so you can actually like you can set ticket prices. You can set like you could you can make all these choices yep. that a person would make if you're running a club. And my wife's like, what are you doing? Like spending all this time drafting players and stuff. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. You don't understand. Like if I draft this player, I'm going to be and, and it's the minutia of it is the fun part mm-hmm. when you're playing this video game. And now with people watching football, this is like. They're getting a they're getting a chance to look behind the curtain, and this is how NFL teams are run. Did you think you could run a pro franchise after doing that? Yes, I because did. Because some people think that. Yeah, honestly, no, we get texts yeah. to, into our show and they thinking go, that because and they like, really. Well, I played, you know, Madden off season mode and did all this stuff, so the Seahawks should obviously do this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not an idiot. I know I can't actually run it, uh, but it's fun to play video games. Yeah. Is the point? I like playing video games. All right. Um, Mike Lefko, thanks for hanging out, man. Yeah, it's always super I, fun. I, I learned something every week, too. I'm there you gonna go. go look up some I learned about football. NYC dance troupe. You learned about NYPD dance troupe. Yeah. yeah. All right, check it out. All right, that's Mike Lefko, 710 Seattle Sports. We're going to be right back here on Cairo Nights. You're listening to Cairo Nights with Jake Scorehart. Welcome back to Cairo Nights. All right, I want to play this clip for you guys because I found this really funny. It's actually a, a, a post I'm going to read for you. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why this story really made me laugh. There was an elected official who posted this. This was earlier in the week who actually put, this was something that very much impressed them, like so much impressed them that they put this on the Internet as a sign to show how with it uh, President Biden is because he's so hip and with it. I'm with it. I'm hip. All right. So this is uh, this is the story. Basically, is that the president of the United States was out? He was uh, uh, shaking hands and kissing babies or doing whatever they do on fundraising trips. He's in Los Angeles. He's at a cafe in Los Angeles, and one of the customers walks up to him with a cell phone, as people are wont to do. Nobody gets autographs anymore. Everybody wants a picture. So somebody comes up with a cell phone and says, hey, can we take a selfie? Now, the phone was turned the wrong way or the camera was turned the wrong way or something, whatever. So President Biden reaches out and hits the camera reverse. You know the little camera thing? It looks like a recycle sign, but it's like you can flip the camera between the front and the back. So he did that. He knew how to do that. And that made its way around the internet to show how hip and with it President Biden is. He's totally there. Cognitively, he's as sharp as ever. Um, This was an elected official. An elected official actually posted this. They said, POTUS got jokes per the press pool while posing for a selfie with a customer at CJ's Cafe in Los Angeles today. President Biden switched the customer's phone to selfie mode. The customer expressed surprise that POTUS knew how to do that. After the last guy, the bar's on the floor, Biden quipped. Gotta love this guy. Again, that was the elected official who posted that. 
who was very impressed because Biden knows how to put a phone into selfie mode. You know what, big boy? You're grown up. Yeah, dig that. Because you're grown up and you're grown up and you're grown up. Yes, he is. He's with it and he knows how to put a camera in selfie mode. I think our standard for president of the United States, I don't know that Donald Trump would know how to do this, to be honest, either. Uh, and I'm not making an argument that Donald Trump should be in office. All I'm saying is whoever is in office, whether it's a Democrat, whether it's a Republican, whether it's an independent, which who knows if that'll ever happen, whoever is in office, they should be able to use a cell phone, I think. I mean, just personally, because that would be great. That would say a lot about them that they know how to use phones. I think that's great. But it also shouldn't be something that we're so surprised by. Maybe that speaks to a larger concern uh, that maybe the people running for office are getting a little long in the tooth if we're so surprised that they know how to put a camera into selfie mode, so much so that we need to yell about it on the internet and say how great it is. All right, uh, we got a lot of stuff coming up. You don't want to miss a second of it, I promise. We got great stuff coming up, so stick around. We're going to be right back here on Cairo Nights.